The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's Tuesday. We've got SEC on CBS lead reporter Jamie Erdahl will be joining us shortly. Uh, But first, Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson right here with you. And as we continue to to look ahead to that massive SEC on CBS doubleheader, once again, it's Auburn at Texas A&M, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then the SEC on CBS in primetime, 8 p.m. from Athens, Georgia, uh, Notre Dame at the Georgia Bulldogs. Be getting into a lot of that with Jamie later, but but Barton, man, this is a this is a really fun weekend across college football because as you survey the landscape, and we hinted at this a little bit when we were um, you know re-ranking the Power Five conferences in Monday's show. Please go download that if you missed that. Is that this is like the the beginning of real uh, head-to-head conference results that are going to carry incredible significance into October and November as these conference title races unfurl. I mean, the like the time to be slowly warming yourself up has passed. We got we got potential tiebreakers on the line. I'm I'm excited for that for uh, what we got in week four in college football. Oh, this week's awesome. There, you, you can kind of even go say there's some playoff eliminators out there this week. Uh, but just, I mean, yeah, this is, this is going to be a blast. I can't wait for this weekend. Uh, so let's, uh, we're going to spotlight a few of those games before we uh, get into our SEC on CBS deep dive here. And I, I want to start with Oklahoma State and Texas because in our Big 12 discussion with the, with the wild uh, standoff that is the Big 12 conference race, nine game round robin schedule, no one gets to hide from anybody. Uh, this is probably one of those interesting spots where as the Cowboys go to Austin to face this Texas team, the Longhorns are feeling comfortable about starting to get a little bit healthier from where they were a couple weeks ago. And, you know, all of our positive thoughts about the Oklahoma State Cowboys, I guess I wanted to start the spotlight here with this conversation. Where do you put uh, your expectation level in terms of Oklahoma State being able to go on the road and get this win, and also in the context of setting, do you think that you would pick it differently 
if the game was in Stillwater? Uh, I would probably pick it up. I don't know. I mean, I would certainly give Oklahoma State a better shot if it was in Stillwater, um, but that's no um, revelation. I, I think I, I still give them or give it a decent shot, even at Texas. And I mean, I just think this is going to be fun to see what Texas can do. I mean, they they've yeah they gave us some points against LSU's offense, which is awesome as a particularly as a pass game offense and and Oklahoma State's got that ability to stretch you as well but I, this is just a, a Chuba Hubbard showcase here uh that Texas has got a I, I'm almost I feel like Texas is going to be able to score plenty of points uh and can they step up and be a defense that can get some stops but this is you know we talked about it in the uh, over the weekend, I mean, this is what makes the, the the Big 12 so fun is this is the first of a bunch of games that you just can't overlook if you're Texas. I'm going Oklahoma State with even more confidence knowing that it's on the road in prime time. That's just really? – Yeah, that's just prime Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State kind of moment where they are going to be walking into DKR. The game is – uh, it's, it'll be 6.30 local time, 7.30 Eastern time. It's the ABC game, so it's got that sort of national, uh, that sort of big picture vibe. And so while all of us are going to be dialed in to the twists and turns of uh, of Notre Dame and Georgia, I just think that on your second screen right there, you're going to be like, oh, oh, wow. It's uh, it's it's not just like a, a close shootout game. Like Oklahoma State's jumped all over Texas. It's 21-7. to 7. I bet Mike Gundy has the perfect script for the first 15 plays and I bet that Oklahoma State scores two touchdowns in their first 15 plays yeah I mean that this is uh, this could be the most entertaining game of the weekend really yeah I mean that that's what's exciting about this one is just from a pure viewership standpoint um it's there might not be one that's more fun than this with the big plays Oklahoma State can provide on offense and I mean, they had some play. You know, I think some some playmakers started to show up on defense a little bit for them, but I mean, ultimately, yeah. I mean, this is this is probably going to be Sam Ellinger putting up uh, a, a ton of deep balls and and trying to match what Oklahoma State's doing. And so, I, and and if you haven't seen Chuba Hubbard play, man, you better carve out some time, DVR this thing if you're watching Notre Dame, Georgia, or what have you. But that dude can flat out roll on pace for 2,000 rushing yards and 28 touchdowns, you know, if he were to maintain that pace. <laughs> I mean, he's got uh, – he's averaging like 175 yards rushing a game at like eight yards a pop. Unbelievable. Um, on Friday night, we're going to – and we might get a chance to dive – I'm sure we'll get a chance to dive into this a little bit more uh, as the week rolls on. We've got Utah going to L.A. to face USC – which is coming off the overtime loss to BYU. Uh, Utah, after dispatching with BYU in week one on the opening Thursday, has been just sort of taking care of business, uh, you know, putting together the most Utah team that Utah could ever Utah. So as as you're looking at the Utes going on the road uh, against a Trojans team following the upset, I guess my question for you is, do you believe uh, in your uh, Utah, in, in your Utah preseason Pac-12 South pick, 
Do you believe that this will be like a, an affirming win for the Utes? Is there anything from this game that you think changes the national conversation? Because currently, if you believe the polls, the Utah, Utah is the best team in the Pac-12, or at least the highest ranked team in the Pac-12, I believe sitting there at number 11. Do you think that Utah can do anything in this game and come out of it feeling like or looking like a college football playoff contender? I think it's got to be just purely the schedule. I mean, just sort of the the compilation of wins for Utah. I don't, I don't know that I ever expect us to leave a game that Utah's in this year because of the teams they play. In part, I mean, maybe they could go. Do they they play Washington this year, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe if they go and blow out Washington, you know, then then we start to look at them differently. But I just think the way Utah wins is just. It's it is aesthetically, it's I don't know it's ever gonna f- quite make us uh, make our, the hair stand up on our neck in, in the same way that I don't know Oklahoma Georgia Alabama LSU Clemson do and and so this is and this USC team is so hot and cold and we don't know what we're supposed to think of them I don't see this changing the national perception of Utah coming out of this game. I think it's a huge game for Utah. And I think that winning this is probably, I don't know, maybe more important even than whatever limited reaction we'll get following the game will be. Um, but, and I think also when you talk, look at what BYU has done since Utah, I mean that, they beat BYU by what, 17 points or something? Yeah. And, and that's now all of a sudden BYU, who just beat USC, just beat Tennessee. Uh, we'll see what they do against Washington this weekend. But all of a sudden, that win's starting to look pretty good. And um, you know, maybe maybe Utah has quietly had one of the better resumes early early season. But I I still think USC is has tarnished its reputation enough that they probably won't get as much credit as they deserve if if they do beat USC this weekend. Talk me out of picking USC to win that game straight up. Oh, I'm not feeling. Uh, I mean, look, I, I guess. No, I, I guess it could happen. I guess it happened. I mean, that's a Friday night. Uh, it's that they they sort of Keaton Slovis is now seen uh, a little bit of a different look from BYU, and he's had to face it. And those, I mean, those guys. He's got playmakers. I just think that Utah defensive front to me is going to be the difference in making things uncomfortable for Keaton Slovis. So I'm not there, but I guess, I guess as you say that, Hey man, that there's, there's no one USC is, is incapable of beating because BYU did that thing where they just dropped everybody into coverage every time. And they're like, all right, USC beat us with your ground game. And they did all right moving the ball on the ground. I, they were not especially dominant, but I I feel like I feel like Utah doesn't need to drop a whole bunch of defenders into coverage. Utah has uh, elite play and athleticism in the secondary such that they can still they can still commit themselves to stopping the run almost as the the first thing, and then count on some of their defenders to make life difficult for USC's wide receivers. Because it's on brand, I will be picking USC straight up to win the upset. I will probably be taking them plus the four and a half as a lock. But uh, but now I, I just I, I see Utah as a much tougher, much much tougher matchup for BYU. I mean, then BYU, and it kind of feels like. 
for Utah to lose that game, I would come out of that le- not impressed with USC. I would come of that come out of that disappointed with Utah for letting an opportunity slip away. I've never played quarterback before in anything meaningful, um, but I'm going to try to relate Keaton Slovis to my my true freshman experience in college. And this might come off as a little bit of a humble brag, and maybe it's me just shoehorning a good game in. But uh, if it is, then sorry. But what? I, <laughs> so my true freshman year. All right, I was like the dime safety for the first couple games, and then our starter got got injured. Um, Than Merrill ended up getting drafted, uh, played for the Bears and the Bucks for a few years, and so I came in and from like I think it was the third house? game of the year. Do what? Than Merrill from Flip This House. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's exactly <laughs> who it is. <laughs> yeah, he's he's now a real estate mogul. Yeah. Um, he so I I went in against Dartmouth, my third game, true freshman, and kind of didn't know what I didn't know and 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 just was kind of keeping my head above water and Dartmouth hey look at the first true freshman uh we're gonna attack him and I had like 13 tackles and interception five pass breakups and I was the Ivy League defensive player of the week Woo! the, the next week we're playing uh Fordham and it was and I, I believe if I'm not mistaken it was a Dave Clausen coached Fordham team uh, small world. We always find a way to get Dave Claus in our pods. <laughs> and I was like backpedaling out of the frame on the, on the tape on Sunday morning. Like, like just, I, I kind of knew like at that point I was no longer just out there surviving. I sort of knew, knew like the, the pitfalls and the dangers and knew how I could get beat. And I just was, I kind of played a little more scared rather than just you know, trust in my instincts. And so I almost feel like that's Keaton Slovis second game was like, all right, first game is just let's roll. Hey, I've been playing football my whole life. Let's play. Second game is BYU, a little different look, forced to just kind of over like think it a little think through it a little bit more. And maybe he didn't quite play as instinctive. And perhaps in 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 your favor, Chip, like game three now, all right, he settles back in which is kind of what happened with me. You settle back in and you're now you're more like you, you've had your game where you're just sort of backpedal out of the screen. And now you're, you're back to, okay, let's, let's, let's meet somewhere in the middle here. And so maybe this is going to be a, a bounce back game for Keaton Slovis. I, I could certainly see that sort of um, that, that sort of trajectory for him. Week three was an off week for both the Michigan Wolverines and the Wisconsin Badgers uh, ahead of a massive early season game in the Big Ten title hunt uh, over in Camp Randall. So when you mentioned college football playoff potential elimination games, does it feel like that's what's on the line right here for the Wolverines and the Badgers? One team uh, sort of emerges as the the next in line or at least a, a team with a a big win or a, the lack of a loss that can keep it in the Big Ten title hunt, keep it in the college football playoff hunt? Yeah, I mean, this is, feels like it's just like Michigan's got to prove to us that they deserve our attention again. Um. I mean, and and I guess we found out of Wisconsin is is truly for real. I mean, Central Michigan and USF aren't much, but they did dominate them the way they're supposed to. Uh, but this is to me about Michigan and us determining whether or not we can continue to even you know care, continue to even care on a national level what Michigan is up to. Because if they lose Wisconsin, then it's just sort of all right. Michigan is a 
a good Big Ten team that with could, great tradition, could, a good yeah. team with great <laughs> <That's> tradition. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. And so that, it's, it, I think it's all about Michigan for this one. It's all about that offense. Yeah. Wisconsin got a number one first place vote in the, uh, the most recent polling of the CBS sports One Thirty. I think that's definitely put to the test here. Do you have a early feel on, cause I, I'm, I believe Wisconsin wins that game, and I believe that we settle into a comfortable position of talking about Michigan like a good football team with great tradition. Which, yeah, which is what they should have been talking about all along this year. But that's a that's a different story. Uh, yeah, I, I my expectation. Is, I mean, how how can you trust Michigan? And and uh, look, we could be coming back here talking on Saturday late night after Michigan has won the game, and we could be sitting here saying. How how could we have ever counted Michigan out? Because right. hey, they 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 won forty one to seventeen or whatever against MTSU, and man, Army's Army almost beat Oklahoma playoff team last year. So like, why did we why did we totally write them off? So as a hedge, as a couching of this, like yeah, I guess Michigan could just totally change our perception of them if they go off and win this thing, and and we start to totally recalibrate how we look at those first couple games yeah i'll uh I'll, I'll stick to my original guess until proven wrong all right coming up on the other side sec on cbs lead reporter jamie erdahl next selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast have you heard of nordic knots the scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world with rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors. But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code 
inner circle. NordicKnots.com. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the Cover 3 podcast, Jamie Erdahl, lead reporter for the SEC on CBS. Uh, she will be roaming the sidelines. She will be presenting the pageantry and ta- holding our hand as we all grip to our seats uh, through what is just going to be a massive massive college football event with Notre Dame traveling to Athens to face Georgia. And so, uh, Jamie, I guess I'll, I'll start with, with this, you know, has, is this one of those games that, that brings out your friends that maybe aren't all that involved with (laughs) understanding how, uh, how difficult and demanding your job is where they just think you're going to be around or that you have extra tickets. Like, are you getting hit up for people that want to come be a part of this event in Athens? Yeah, I I was joking with Brad Nessler. He and I are uh, in a, the smallest of worlds, both Minnesota natives. And but 40 years ago, he moved to the Atlanta area. And man, is he getting hit up for tickets by his buddies. I myself stay up in the northern parts and live in Minnesota. And people who don't even watch a lot of college football up here have realized that I'm doing this game, and all of a sudden think. Well, no, I'd love to come to one of your games sometime. Well, don't pick this one, please, because I got nothing for you. But, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, a brand like Notre Dame, they travel with a certain cachet that everyone kind of pays attention to. And all of a sudden we get to have, have this game on our uh, primetime air, and, and I'm so pumped. I don't think I've been a part of a bigger kind of regular season setup really any, at any point in my career than this one. It's funny for me, like when I think back to the 2017 game in in South Bend, and it, in retrospect, that felt like a really big game. But I just sort of look today, and I think Georgia was ranked like 16th, and Notre Dame was ranked maybe 24th or something going mm-hmm. into that game. I mean, th- this one, as as big as that game felt, um, this one obviously takes on a whole different vibe with with two playoff contenders that have both been in the playoffs here recently and I know you're still Jamie haven't you know talked to all the players yet and are, and we'll be doing that this week but just from your early impressions you know what is the the vibe and the tenor around this matchup and 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 kind of the I mean the magnitude of it I guess here are a couple of things that I've I've observed now that I've kind of turned the page and looked ahead to this game um there are a lot of really cool articles and stories coming out now about that game back in 2017. And so much of the narrative is driven by, for some reason, even though uh, Coach Kelly had been at Notre Dame for quite some time at that point, that, that was a bit of a resurgence for this program and, and maybe a, a new chapter for them in their recent successes. And for Kirby Smart, as he has now kind of revealed, that was really – an establishing win for him on the road and and an establishing career starter for Jake Fromm on the road. I remember I wasn't even on the SEC yet. I was still covering the NFL for CBS. And it's funny you say that about the way the teams were ranked and and what that game was. I remember turning that game on and and having about a 30-second confusion as to where this game was being played because as we all remember how many Georgia fans traveled up there to South Bend. And and kind of shaking my head and saying, oh, oh, wow, this, wow, this is a huge game. And it, it, was, <laughs> it did kind of sneak up on us back in 2017. This one has a completely different tenor. Uh, it has not snuck up on us. We, everyone has been looking forward to it. But it almost feels like a bookend to kind of bring that full circle. It, for both programs, that, that game in 2017 marked something. For Notre Dame, it was a, a frustrating loss at home. And then the success they had after that, Georgia 
it really kind of kicked their successes off over the last two years. And now we've come full circle. And for one of, for one of these teams, it's really going to put an exclamation point over the transformation these programs have had over the last two years. To, to follow on that, um, if, I mean, Notre Dame comes in this one, uh, a 13 and a half point underdog, I, I think is the last number I saw. And, um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like this is in a lot of ways, um, like people kind of look at this as man, Notre Dame needs to to prove that they're a national title contender. Notre Dame needs to prove that they can play in this sort of a game. And and I, you know when you look at what Notre Dame and it's sort of in light of what happened against Clemson. And here Notre Dame was and and they had a closer game against Clemson than Alabama did, or or, or uh-huh. close to it. And so, do you think I guess as you prepare for this that that's kind of a fair box to put Notre Dame in as they head into this game to to sort of be needing to prove that they're of the same ilk as like the Georgia, Alabama, Clemson sort of tier? Well, that's kind of the argument behind, you know, for anyone that wants to ever knock Notre Dame football, you know, well, join a conference, you know, get get real opponents year in and year out, which is just kind of become an obnoxious argument in my opinion. Um, But yes. Uh, unfortunately, every week people are going to look at Notre Dame uh, uh, and say and doubt them and say, well, you know, and if they lose to somebody, well, of course, it's Notre Dame football. I feel like that's kind of the, the what we've taken on with Notre Dame recently and their identity. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately for them in mid-September, we're looking at a game that will prove their fate, I think, for January. But also, you know, you can flip it and say, fortunately for Notre Dame, you know, a game in mid-September will help them in, you know, their fate for January. So it's a cliche answer that I get from a lot of players and a lot of coaches when it comes to a game like this, which is it should be just another game. But the way Notre Dame handles its program and all the stigma that's wrapped around it, this game does kind of have a defining feel to it when it comes to their January destiny. But you go to Notre Dame for that reason. You know, you go to Georgia to play in the SEC and every week to have one of the toughest schedules as the season unfolds. But you go to Notre Dame to kind of prove that you are this national powerhouse that gets to stand alone, you know, for a reason. And, yeah, mid-September, it's tough, but, you know, they they go to these schools for, for this exact reason. The SEC on CBS got a little bit of a later than usual start. You know, we didn't didn't have that like opening weekend kickoff game, and so you got to spend uh, sort of the first first couple weeks just taking in the entire scene of college football. So as you uh, started to fill out your own notebook for the SEC, you know, did you have have you gotten your arms around what Georgia football is? Because I feel like Georgia football is really really big and they're really really strong mm-hmm. and they're really good and they don't make many mistakes but we haven't seen a lot necessarily uh, the bulldogs float to the top in in some of these high profile games so what have you observed so far uh from the bulldogs i think uh kirby smart has finally kind of carved out this beast of a, of a team that that everyone has been patiently maybe impatiently at times waiting for him to do since he arrived in athens um, he he put himself, you know, in his second season, he, he plays Notre Dame back in 2017. He, he put himself at a high-profile level early on uh, and started to prove himself, I think, from that win forward. And now he's finally gotten to this point where there have been, don't get me wrong, heartbreaking losses in the SEC championship. But this feels like the team finally that has all of the pieces that 
could eventually, as we look ahead to early December in Atlanta, uh, could take down finally an Alabama team. Um, not because Alabama's any weaker than they have been in the past, only because I think Kirby has gotten this team to a point where they should just kind of continue to grow as the buzzsaw that they are on both sides of the ball. I think Jake Fromm has set himself up beautifully in his time under center uh, to to be a quarterback that can go the entirety of the season and just create this offense and turn it into something that he as a juggernaut that that it needs to be in order to. Uh, face and beat Alabama, but they're, they're a beast. And I think, you know, everyone can always argue the first two weeks of the season, you know, for Notre Dame's opponents too, but also Georgia, Oh, who do they really play? And how is it really, but it doesn't matter. You, you, a win's a win. You're perfecting your, your offense and your practices to get to a game like this in week three or week nine, whatever it is. And Georgia, I think has finally, has finally hit this pace where, they have arrived, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it sort of validates Georgia in some ways in that the the conversation always is going to relate back to Alabama and comparing them to Alabama and can they get over the hump and beat Alabama um, and and become the, you know, that presence in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And and so I want, I want to pick your brain a little bit from your experience with Bama, South Carolina, um, is is this Alabama team? Let me put it, put it this way: in, in preparing for that game and, and talking to people around the program, I, from from my perspective, look, there's a lot of true freshmen playing, particularly on the in the front seven. They've had some injuries. Is mm-hmm. there? Where's the confidence level in maybe that defense right now? relative to what we're used to seeing in Alabama, is is there some vulnerability there, or less so than than maybe, uh, you know, the surface might show? From from what I observed, I think the vulnerabilities are built within the communication that is required on the back end of a defense because you have those two freshmen straight up the middle uh, within that Alabama defense. And, and you can't you can't lose a senior presence the way you did within that team and not feel – some kind of dip, not only with the skill level, but but more so with, I think, why Alabama's teams are so good year in and year out is Nick Saban gets really smart players. He gets guys that that are you know instinctive football players that that can put you know pen to paper and also communicate really well amongst each other. Um, so I think what you get when you put two freshmen back there for him is they might be great skilled players and they might they're meant to be there obviously if they were recruited and committed to Alabama and and have run their way onto the field but are are you um you know the talker the leader the the quarterback of the defense as we like to say usually for those middle linebackers that you need to be I would think probably not I would think that's maybe where their biggest vulnerability is but that's something that you can improve upon as a freshman from week one, you know, up until the SEC championship or a national championship. You, you know, you can't, I don't think you can develop maybe your skill set that well over within a season, but I do think you can improve your communication style and the way you talk within the defense. So I think if there's any vulnerability, it's that amongst the young players. But if that's their worst case or what the, the worst thing that they're dealing with, I think that's that's a, that's a little kink that can be worked out pretty easily as time goes on for this Alabama team. 
What about the depth of that group? I mean, they were on the field for 86 <laughs> plays against South Carolina. And forecasting that forward, you know, we saw what kind of game LSU and Texas got into. And we've seen that, yeah. you know, Joe Burrow has, has really committed and taken control of an up-tempo, no-huddle offense. The Is, is depth an additional uh, concern in, when you try to forecast out those top high-profile matchups that Alabama's going to have against some up-tempo, no-huddle teams later in the year? Well, a couple things. You know, we, we tout Georgia for being a team that has finally arrived. I could definitely make the same argument, I think, for LSU, particularly sure. LSU's offense. I mean, their defense has kind of always been there, in my opinion, but um, I do think LSU's offense has, has arrived. And I do think that's a, that's a game that Alabama – um, in terms of their playbook, you know, how much do they open things up until they get to that point for a lot of reasons, not only to expose to other teams what they have, but also as we're talking about depth and use on this Alabama team, how much do they want to put on this on these guys' plates up until, you know, a high-profile game like that. So I think, um, you know, in terms of depth, youth is, youth is money when it comes to legs and plays on the field. I think I wouldn't put it past Nick David not to have those guys prepared to play uh, through a game like that once they get to LSU. But you're right, they're, they're one injury away from, you know, maybe a guy, again, like we talk about the communication style or just inexperience being out there that you're all of a sudden, it's fine against maybe a South Carolina team. It's not going to be so fine against Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow and LSU. So are they playing with house money a little bit? Maybe. But, again, Nick Saban hasn't showed us anything over the last couple of years. I wouldn't tell you that. Whoever the next guy is to step on the field, he wouldn't be fully prepared to at least keep the defense afloat if, if an injury would occur. Yeah, the, the uh, Gary always tries to make it seem like it's just another four or five star, but they are human <laughs> beings. They do need to be able to go out there and execute. Uh, which, what were your impressions on field, but then also just the – I, th I thought that there was a great opportunity to really spotlight uh, Ryan Helinski and his family yeah. uh, with that. So what's um, what, what do you feel like you took away from, you know, getting to have those conversations and, and help tell that story? Well, it's, it's um, it was a tremendously tragic event in this family's time uh, together and, and the way they have, come together not only and gotten over it is one remarkable thing, but what they have decided to do with it, I think is even more remarkable. I mean, I had a 30 minute conversation with his dad um, on Friday afternoon and, and just the openness in which he was willing to chat with me about what they're trying to accomplish. I think, I, I don't think I would be able to do that. Honestly, the strength, the emotional strength it takes for these parents to talk about Tyler in such a in such a positive and uh, light and and remember him for all the right reasons um is really quite amazing and Ryan to carry it one step further is an 18 year old at in college I mean we all we were all there we were all a freshman in college at one point we weren't playing for an SEC team we weren't starting at quarterback as a freshman and we weren't dealing with this again this this weight on him that you can only imagine is, is there every day when he wakes up and it's on his mind at all times and to handle himself the way he does um, as a person, as a player and as a teammate is uh, honestly a strength and that I really haven't come across a whole lot in my career. So it, he, I think it, it's an unbelievable family. Ryan has a pretty incredible skill set as a quarterback 
as, as I, as Gary said, I think going to break, he said, you know, shooters can shoot no matter what. Well, Ryan Polinski can throw the ball and uh, he looks pretty good, but, but more so than that, he, that family is, is, is really, really strong. And I really commend them for what they're trying to accomplish. It, just in, in covering Ryan a little bit in high school, he came across as a, um, a really mature kid and, and has a lot of sort of intangible leadership ability. And obviously he showed a lot of physical ability against Alabama, but and ultimately in a loss, but there, there seemed to be, we talked about it with Chip, there, there seemed to be a lot of optimism among South Carolina fans uh, mm-hmm. of what the offense could look like with Ryan Holinsky moving forward. What was your impression um, coming out of that game, out of that week, um, maybe just in terms of sort of the team's confidence and and sort of what this team can be with him under center? Is it different, I guess, is what I'm getting at? Um, I think, how do I phrase this? Did, did I come away by, from South Carolina's meeting thinking, wow, you know, they have their guy. That's their guy. Um, no, but I also think Will Muschamp was, is respecting Jake Bentley's process in coming back from this injury and whatever he decides to do. I don't think it would be fair to what Jake Bentley has been able to accomplish there for Will Muschamp just to say, all right, moving on, Ryan Holinsky. He's our guy for the future, I think, for a lot of reasons. Is that too much on Ryan? Is that, you know, unfair to Jake and, and the decision he's trying to make? Um, so I didn't really come away thinking that, you know, South Carolina has put the period at the end of the sentence, you know, moving forward with this guy. But it wasn't out of insult to what Ryan can accomplish. I think I think there is a confidence there. He has a confidence within himself to want to earn the trust of his teammates. If South Carolina can keep recruiting wide receivers the way they have been able to the last couple of years, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find a better quarterback than Ryan Holinsky to usher those wide receivers into a pretty successful SEC career, in my opinion. And I think, you think he's a, a quarterback built for a, a pretty tremendous passing game. So I think they'll be okay if he's their guy, but I didn't really come away with thinking, okay, now we've entered into the Ryan Holinsky era, if that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> sure, definitely. I I would not put South Carolina necessarily, um, you know, right right there in the in the Georgia stratosphere, but as as you sort of forecast the the SEC East, you've got Felipe Franks getting knocked out at Florida, Tennessee, and all kinds of issues. I can't put my thumb on uh, Missouri. That we're certainly going to learn much more about the Tigers here in recent weeks. But you know, where where do you see within that division? Is there a threat to Georgia? Is is there a team that could rise up there and knock them off? What appears to be uh, a, you know, an, a one seat in the top tier of the SEC East, which they are occupying. I I don't I I I don't think that there is, especially with Felipe Franks going down for Florida. I mean. Um, we were Gary, Brad, and I were talking about how much we were looking forward to the Florida Georgia game this season, and and not that losing Felipe Franks really, um, you know, taints our vision of that game a lot, but it it, it changes the nature of it. Let's be honest, um, and we'll see how their offense can unfold now in a new era as well. But uh, I really can't foresee a team really being able to jump up and and unseat Georgia. What's going to be better is just watching whatever unfolds in the West. Um, but that's, that's for a different conversation. But the East, you know, because of the way the season has unfolded, you're right. I can't really figure 
Missouri out either. Um, but I, I'm not sure sometimes Missouri can figure itself out until maybe halfway through the season. So um, I think Georgia's kind of got that, that locked up. Um, especially for when those impactful games, I think, come down the line, like that Florida, Georgia, the fact that it's not till November 2nd, uh, I think we're going to know a lot more about all of these teams by the time that comes around anyway. So uh, I think Georgia's, you know, I don't really see anybody coming up and nabbing them, nipping them in the butt, you know, at that one seat for the SEC East. It's September 17th. I will take it away from the current setting or from the setting, the scheduled setting, which will be Bryant-Denny Stadium. If I put Alabama mm-hmm. and LSU on a neutral field, who is Jamie taking? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of had the Kool-Aid. I'll go LSU. Yes. I've, oh, wow. We got, we yeah. got two on the pod now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, uh, yeah. I gotta do so it. it. I mean, only, is, is the, yeah. Is that more of a, <laughs> is that, is that, is that more of a commentary on how good you think LSU is or, yes. uh, or have yeah, you, or 100%. is it, or is it some cracks in the facade? Okay. No. Yeah. And, and just what I said about Georgia too, the fact that I think they could get to the SEC championship and beat Alabama has nothing to do with Alabama. And I'm probably going to hear about this when I get to Tuscaloosa next, but <laughs> it has more so to do with the fact that these other programs, you know, we talk about the floor and the ceiling and a lot across the power five conferences. I think the floor of the SEC is, is rising, especially amongst those teams that were right there on the cusp the last couple of years. I think LSU has emerged. We've seen it, yes, but I think they've emerged in more ways than we haven't even seen yet. And if, if the, the key there was putting them on a neutral site, you know, put right. them in Tuscaloosa, and I'm going to have to maybe rethink my answer. But you know, you put them at in Jerry World, and and I would I would take I think I would take LSU. I just see it being uh, that the the confidence that Joe Burrow has dictating Mm -hmm. an offense that does not huddle moves at a breakneck pace and has Mm -hmm. NFL wide receivers. I just, um, I, I, sometimes this thing will happen, uh, to both Barton and I, and and maybe to you too, Jamie, you show up to, to a, (laughs) to a program and, and you get walked around a building and you walk out of there and you're like, man, I tell you what, they're on the up, you know, like you see yep. a team with your own eyes. They, they're very impressive and, and you can't help it. You're just seeing it in person. You're like, I'm, I am impacted by that in a unique way. We were in Austin and just the way that LSU's offense at a time when you would have thought that they would have traditionally gone conservative. We have a lead. Yeah. We need to run the ball. We need to bleed clock. They kept their they kept the pedal down and continued to score. I thought that was impressive, not only for their execution, but just the identity of what that team can be. I could not agree more, just with the feeling that you get from that team. Now, that being said, when you say a sentence like the NFL caliber wide receiver that LSU has, you cannot say that and not look at the other side and look at the group that Alabama sure. has right now because, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure Gary said it once again on the broadcast, but he, he had a hard time trying to think of a team in his, in his career that had four guys. I mean, teams have had three, you know, teams have had three running backs, four running backs, maybe four wide receivers that Alabama has right now are unbelievable and talk about being around a group of guys that really change the way you look at them when you're in person when you're in person oh man so that group oh man i don't know i think i'm gonna have to stick with lsu but wow that's gonna be a game <laughs> yeah i mean we're we're only a few years removed from like the the point total for alabama lsu 
being like low 40s, high 30s. <laughs> and and we're going to have – Vegas is going to set that one at like 73 and a half or something <laughs> when that one comes out. So it, it's it's going totally. to di- be a big 12 feel. Um, I, I, before we get you out, I, I, I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on – uh, what we should expect to see this weekend in in uh, Kyle Field with A and M Auburn, um, you know you, you've you've been watching these teams and both these teams have been tested early this season. Um, uh, the Kellen Mond versus Bo Nix uh, battle is intriguing, particularly given the Kellen Mond didn't light the world on fire against Clemson, uh, and mm-hmm. Bo Nix is is still very much I think an unknown in a lot of ways. But what are you looking for in that game? What what intrigues you about that matchup? Yeah, I think what I need to continue to see is just what Bo Nix can do. Uh, Auburn is one of these teams that, you know, when we talk about getting around a program and getting a certain vibe from them, they're they're a team that I've had a hard time reading, you know, in my two years so far in the SEC. Um, I just, I want to get a more confident vibe from Auburn and and maybe Bo Nix is the answer. And I might have to get around them to, to really understand them a little bit better, but and I really want to believe in this in this stature that that in his second year, Jimbo Fisher has got it figured out. And and I and again, I, I you know what? I'll, I'll kind of put the stamp on both of the teams like that. I, I just want to see more of a statement piece from both A and M and Auburn. And maybe they need to kind of eliminate each other in that respect in order for all of us um, to discover what they're really meant to do and what defines them within this 2019 season. But I just haven't come away with, you know, when we talk about LSU is a really good example. It feels like we finally see what they're meant to be like on offense. I just haven't discovered that yet, especially with Auburn. I only had A&M once last year, uh, but to, to give them the eye test and really find out, oh, this, this is what makes this team up. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that something emerges positively, not just on the negative side, but positively from both of these teams to, to give us a feel for, what we should expect from them at least the rest of the year. Auburn's got that putt putt offense. It's just nothing but gimmicks <laughs> and trying to trying to yep. hit it through the clown's mouth. It's just a putt putt yep. offense. A lot of window dressing. <laughs> Don't get distracted. Gimmicky. Yeah, feel free it feel is. free to use that one. Uh, that's that's for free on the broadcast. Yeah. No, I think I think in my meetings I'm going to say so. Uh, so, coach, how do you feel about right. that putt putt offense? Yeah, yeah, not two, my words. Two, two Gus, the putt putt yes. offense. Uh, the putt putt offense. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Jamie, uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us. You're the absolute best. Safe travels and enjoy. We will be watching along as you uh, as you help present what should be one of the biggest games of the college football season. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.